Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the No Limits Waterfowl Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by finest waterfowl gear manufacturing company in the universe. Of course, I am talking about Tangle Free Waterfowl. The best gear, the best decoys, gun cases, bags, layout blinds, accessories, you name it, that you can possibly buy. Look, if you guys have been in the duck hunting circles forever, like us, you know how important quality is. And if you're one of these guys that's just getting started, you need to visit TangleFree.com because you don't want to get started and just start wasting your money on crappy gear. Everything that these guys put out is built by duck hunters. Oh, go figure, right? That makes total sense. I'm a big fan of their go-to bags, which is a just a premier shoulder bag if you're going to hunt the timber. I love their their 12-slot decoy bags with the shoulder straps built into it so you can actually walk someplace with your hands free. Their flight series decoys look like they could just jump up off the water and fly away. I mean, these guys really, really have their stuff together. So, like I said, if you're if you've been a duck hunter forever, you know how important quality is. If you're just getting into duck hunting, don't waste your time and your money buying stuff that you're going to replace next year. You're going to wind up at Tangle Free anyway, so just go there now. Tanglefree.com. The best waterfowl gear you can buy, period. So, today's guest is someone that I have been waiting to get on the show since we first started. Uh... Just a super, super guy, super friend, Travis Sipe with Duck Wild Waterfowl in Waverly, Kansas, which is an hour south of Topeka. If you look, I'm telling you, it's the secret is starting to get out, but Kansas is one of the hottest places to kill ducks and geese today. Everybody knows it. Travis Sipe and his group of guides absolutely work their asses off to make sure that if there is a duck or a goose in a three county area they're going to put you under it so we've hunted with travis now for about three years it is an annual thing for us to go back and hunt with him he's now opening two lodges so on today's show we talk about his new lodge and then the one that he just got finished and now he's got another one coming it's about three hours west, so he's even got a bigger area to hunt now. But we talk about conservation. We talk about his lodges. We talk about how he got started in duck hunting. We talk about just kind of what a dismal season we all seem to have this last year. And then we share some things that happened uh, on our hunts when we went up and hunted with him this year. So it's funny because Travis is the one that actually talked us into doing a podcast. He called me one day and he said, Joey. And I said, what? And he said, you know what you ought to do? And I said, what? And he said, you ought to start a podcast. And I said, okay. And so here we are. So without further ado, please give it up a big welcome for our friend, our brother, Travis Sipe of Duck Wild Waterfowl. a coffee drinker right no, all the, the times it what's up with that 
I just don't understand how something could smell so good and taste so bad. Millennials. I know something or something else. That's uh, that. That's that's one of your problems, dude. If you don't drink, you don't drink coffee. <laughs> what kind of coffee are you drinking right now? Black Rifle. I started drinking that about a year ago, and it's good. Yeah, I, I knew that's what you were drinking. That's why you make such a good guess, man. I know, except then I ruin it because then I tell everybody <laughs> that I set you up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it still snowing there? No, we're supposed to get some sleet tonight, but it's not going to do much. Just make our lives miserable, and then we're supposed to get some more rain and sleety stuff this weekend. It's supposed to get down to like below 10 degrees again this weekend. So you're two hours south of Topeka, right? An hour south. One hour. Hour south. Yep, one hour. It's two hours if you went to Topeka and came back. Correct. That's that's how that works. <laughs> see how I, I did that? I see how you did we're talking with uh, with Travis Sipe, Duck Wild Waterfowl. I say that we don't hunt with guides a lot. We just happen to hunt with Travis, and he is a guide. So we're not breaking our rule there. Last time we talked, it was snowing. And we tried to come up and hunt late season with, with Ronnie Kondo. Mm-hmm. And it had basically flooded. Everything was wet. Then it froze. Then it thawed and got more wet. Then it froze again. And... They just had a terrible end of the season. That was basically our entire season was just muddy. You were here, what, mid-December? Yeah. And then after that, it just rained, and then it froze, and then it rained, and then it froze, and even if it didn't rain when it thawed out, it was muddy. And and yesterday, I spent over an hour washing my truck. I hadn't washed it all duck season. It was terrible. And then... It was pretty hardcore when I was there. Yeah, for sure. But yesterday, I... uh, I washed my truck and then had to go. I'm tearing down a couple barns. And why I washed my truck, I'll never know because I got over into the next county and their roads are terrible. And my truck is now just covered in mud again. Yeah. Yeah. I refuse. So we're getting hit here, like in um, South Louisiana, with a lot of pollen, like we do every spring. Mm-hmm. This year it's super bad. Um, and I just refuse to wash my vehicles because you can wash them dry them wax them do whatever you want to do park them in the garage or the carport like we have come back out two hours later and they're yellow really it's like what's the point yeah that's crazy and it's it's something that like i think the last time um when we were up there you were just getting over a cold or something right oh yeah you can definitely tell that in the videos that we took because i sound like i've been a hardcore smoker my whole life which is definitely miserable for a waterfowl guide who you know if i feel bad one morning i'd have to feel really bad but if i felt bad enough to not go hunt i just i would just stay in you you don't have that option a lot of times no i at least have to go scout yeah um and when you guys were here you know we had two other crews running so i wasn't like i was just gonna stay in the truck i was getting out with you guys and uh and then plus, you had a lodge full of people, that's for sure. Yeah, it was it was a good time, and it seems like we're going to have a lodge full of people this year, along with another lodge out in North Central Kansas, full of people too. Oh, you've got a you you've got one line. You got another one lined up. Yeah, we're going to rent. I'm going to rent out a an old lodge um, in North Central Kansas, and 
I don't. I got it about a quarter booked right now, but we're fully booked here. So I figured, oh, so you're already booked for next year, right now? Yes, I was. All my duck dates here, where our current lodge is located, I had booked maybe two days after season was over. Now you said you were tearing down a barn. Is that for materials for your lodge there that we? Yes. Saw you. Yep. Uh, just that's good. Yeah, everything inside's pretty much. Reclaimed. Reclaimed. Yeah, barn wood and barn tin. That's good, man. It makes for a nice uh makes for a nice deal. It cuts down on cost too. I yes, mean it's it just ma- sweat equity of tearing Yeah, it makes down. it go a lot longer. Um yeah. and just takes time, but it's worth it. I mean, right now I don't have a ton going on, so I usually my day to day right now is uh waking up. Uh I get the help the the old wife get her lunch and stuff ready to go i get the dogs fed i usually go work out make an instagram post or two um come home i always go get my chocolate milk i come home and (laughs) go do something lodge related and then now yes starting yesterday i started a junior high track practice so yesterday afternoon i got in about five miles with the junior high kids and Went and got more uh, barnwood last night. Now you you ran you went to UK, um, KU right? I went to Emporia State. Emporia State. Emporia State D two school here in Kansas. Right. But you ran track, and there's a there's a joke that you told me that I'm not going to repeat that I think is probably the funniest thing in the world. Um, just about getting chased you know chasing people around in a circle. Yeah, we don't need to repeat um, that here on the air. No. It's uh, <laughs> I still think that and the flyway highway video are two of the funniest things I've ever yeah, is the fly- heard or seen. Is the flyway highway a thing anymore? I don't know. Um, I, I don't intentionally look for it. I, I don't watch a lot of outdoor television to begin with just because I, I find it kind of predictable and boring. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, there are a couple of shows um, that I like that are on Carbon TV, uh, but as far as some of the network stations, I don't I don't have a lot of time. I don't sit in front of the TV a lot anyway. I don't either. Um, Anything I watch is generally off of Instagram or Facebook, leading me right. some direction, whether that be YouTube or whatever. But, I mean, I'm looking forward to some stuff that you and Brian get pumped out. Man, that's just such a... Other than it's it's frustrating because a lot of the things like the the podcast I have kind of complete not control but responsibility mm-hmm. over, um, and I like that because there's so many things that I want to help Brian with, but it's it's editing and and he has the eye for that stuff like he already has it in his mind how it's going to go, mm-hmm. and he could probably use like legit four more people to help him just edit our stuff. Um, we're intentional. Though. We're not going to rush it. He or he's not going to rush it. I kind of rush him a yeah. bunch. But we're pretty intentional about not releasing something until it's just kind of what we would like it to be, quality wise. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I haven't seen your boy on Flyway Highway. I mean, unless I just want to watch something to laugh. Um. 
But you got to give it to the dude, man. He's he's got his marketing shtick down, right? Because there's there's apparently people that pay him money to uh, use their Bradley smokers, eh? And um, I don't know, man. That network thing is not cheap. No, so. I've I've heard stories of him going with outfitters and like, you know, basically show interest in coming and then when they say yeah let's uh let's make it happen and then next thing you know he would email them a contract where the outfitting service was going to pay him so much money to be there <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i'll let you know when we get to that point okay yeah please don't that's crazy <laughs> it's wild isn't it but no there's a lot of good stuff on the on the interwebs i mean i think tv's the thing of the past i saw some avian x uh their turkey stuff is not even going to yeah. be on TV anymore. It's all going to be on Mossy Oak Go or something like that. I I saw those. Oh, so yeah, you're seeing more and more of those streaming mm-hmm. uh, networks. You know, my outdoor TV kind of things that are that are coming up. Um, and I, I think that's good because you like one of the things when you look into outdoor programming on the network, and it's it's one of the reasons why aside from cost it's one of the reasons why brian and i really didn't have a desire um to do it is because it's very regimented in the structure of okay we need uh the first 45 seconds is this then we need an interview then another 30 seconds of this then kill shot kill shot kill shot then interview break for a commercial and they'll tell you what commercials you have to put in and from a creative standpoint it's just not good no, it all ends up being the same stuff every show. Yeah, so I was saying it's it's really predictable, and you know, I guess I guess they have an audience, and it serves a purpose. Um, it just wasn't one that you know we wanted to be we want to be part of, and and actually the sponsors that we work with, you know, we're a big big Tangle Free shop, mm-hmm. um, big Sitka shop, Tahatsu Edge. Um, they really, what they really, really care about is not so much um, the video exposure or network exposure. What they are really, what they really wanted, and we had a call with Tangle Free the other day, and super, super happy because what what we gave them was just real, authentic um, content from a still photography perspective, still images that they can use in a multitude of different ways, be it email marketing, being on their website, be it social media. Um, and what I, what I mean when I say authentic is it's not staged. Um, it, you know, everything that we shoot, we shoot in red, which is like five gazillion frames per second mm-hmm. or something like something <laughs> ridiculous. Um, that's See, that's why I can't help Brian edit because I don't know all the – bits and gigawatts and gigawatts and i don't i don't speak the, the uh, lingo. i wouldn't even know where um, to start but well the thing is is that we can pull in a 10 second video we can pull hundreds of images and just let them decide which one looks authentic and kind of drives home the point visually that they are trying to make um, in their posts or their email marketing or whatever it is. So um, the video portion of it or network portion of it is really 
I can say it's not important, but it's not the critical driver of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, much like, you know, we talked a lot about waterfowl guides and the guys that are doing running a lot of snow goose hunts and just turning people over, churning them through the, churning them through the workflow there. There, you are one of the few guys that understands that we've hunted with or had exposure to. One of the few guys that understands that it's about the relationship um that you have with your clientele because if if you if guys book with a guide service just thinking that they are going to go on a slaughter on a 60 or 75 what's your season in kansas like 74 75 74 days days of of duck season which we can run more with going out west uh because it starts earlier um and then we can shoot geese later so we can make it you know 100 plus days pretty quickly yeah, but it's not a hundred day slaughter. No, it's not. I mean, you have your. T- I mean, you might have three or four days a week that are uh, really good hunts, but you're gonna have some days that are a struggle. To, and if you're, we try to, you know, especially if we're running small groups, which we generally are, we're running two to six groups, uh, two to six guys a group. So we're, I mean, we're. You always want to stay above that ten bird day per group that you have out um and then when the hunt- which i think is which i think is kind of unique because a lot of the other services that you'll run across it's all about packing guys in so if you have two guys you're not hunting with just those two guys like you're going to be part of a bigger group with a minimum of like six yeah which i don't put a minimum on minimum on anything or at any group at all I try to tell people four to six is a good number. Um, it depends on what you're hunting, though, right? It, I mean, if you're yeah. hunting a big spread for Canada's or for snows, you you need more guns. But if you're piling on side of a, if you're piling up on side of the bank of a cattle pond, like like we usually mm-hmm. do, um, you know, smaller is be- easily is more easily concealed, and that is better. Oh yeah, like so for instance, I will not book more than four to six guys in november just because i know we're not going to have the birds most of the time that doesn't mean we're not going to get them like that i mean we could potentially so then come december i'll generally maybe at the most have two groups of five or two groups of six in and with the understanding we're going to hunt separate unless hunting is tough and if hunting's Mm -hmm. tough and you're going to be that group of a-holes that doesn't want to hunt with anybody which that i shouldn't say a-hole i guess like Depends on the situation and who the other group is, I guess. Different expectations. Yes. Like, we had two groups of six in last year at the same time, and hunting was good, but they were all in one area. So, the first day, we hunted together, and it was a good hunt. I don't – we had 12 guys, but we shot, like, 27 geese. Ducks didn't really want to play. Um, but we saw what the ducks wanted to do and it was a big piece of property we hunted on and there's two ponds on it on opposite sections. So we split up and each group, I don't remember, we end up with like another 20 some birds the next day between the two groups. And then a couple miles from there, I found a pond and got on it and I said, Hey, this is all I found. Uh, do you guys mind hunting together again? They were staying in the lodge together as it was, which isn't huge. So right. they right. they were okay with it. They're like, heck yeah, let's go do it. You think it's going to be good? And I, I don't like to oversell anything because you never know what could happen. I said, if 
you guys see a fraction of the birds that I saw using this pond, and it wasn't very big, maybe an acre. So you guys see a fraction of the birds using this pond, you're going to shoot a 30 or 40 stack. I've heard you say that so many times that by now I know, okay, when Sipe says, well, if, if we saw a fraction what I saw yesterday, yeah, it's going to be good. And they shot 70 mallards and five geese. Yikes. And they could have stayed there and shot their geese from what I was told. I had a coach. I, I didn't get to go on the best hunt of the year. Oh, that so, sucks. So that was tough. <laughs> um, and here's another thing. If I tell clients jokingly sometimes, I tell them uh, in the morning, if you guys, if everybody's getting out of the truck, whatever, we're getting ready to go and you see me pull my gun out. Yeah. You better grab an extra box of shells because it's probably going right. to be pretty good. Yeah. And you didn't really pull the trigger much no, from our conversation. You didn't really pull the trigger that much at all. Not at all. And I might have brought my gun that first day you guys were here, but yeah. I never pulled the trigger. Uh, we had 10 guns going. and Oh, hunting, God, that hunt was stupid, hunting. man. There's tall cattails, and the pond was not deep. Like, it wasn't like there was 20 feet in the middle, but the whole thing was about top of your waders all around, so you had to be careful walking. And Yeah, there were three spots that I know were that were about two inches over the top of my Yeah, yeah. You had first-hand experience <laughs> with that. Well, then it rained. We hunted that pond two or three other times later in the year, and it had rained more. So, oh, my gosh, it was terrible. It was yeah, I mean, awesome. you need, like, 10-foot decoy lines just to get them out away from the cattails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was tough. But that that particular pond, like on, I think it was probably, it, does it run east to west? Uh, no, it's north and south. Okay, north and south. Um, it, it's kind of a a, a weird shaped kidney shaped mm-hmm. pond almost. Yeah. And man, if you catch the wind right, oh my gosh, dude! Oh, that one morning, man, they were landing like past us almost because it's kind of like. Yeah, it does. The dam doesn't come to a point, but one corner of it, kind of the water can get back up in there, almost up into the field a little bit. You talking about like where we were set up on our right hand yeah, side? Yeah, your right hand side underneath that yeah. willow tree, and they'd land yeah. all the way up in there. Yeah, which is good because they weren't even focusing on the blind that was like ten yards to their to their right. Oh, not off. If we would have had any wind that day, it would have been. Well, the first, the only thing that sucked about the first morning is that it was over before filming late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we we talked about it, I, like I think we kicked a few birds out of there going in, um, and then we got everything set up. We realized that my decoy lines were too short, um, <laughs> but we got yeah. That was I don't, I don't know I don't know how I wound up with short lines anyway. Um, just one of those things. Um, we get set up, we got the, the panel blind set up. Um, dude, how good are those panel blinds? Oh, dude, they're, they're awesome, which I don't use them now, but I used to in the past and I might have to get some just cause everything is, has their pros and cons. And if you've yeah. got to walk in or don't need a back to you, especially, right. Um, there's a ticket. Which we didn't. That I mean, mm-hmm. we hid ten or eleven guys, and then we had their their new uh, Tangle Freeze new solo blind mm-hmm. that we've kind of modified for a camera blind off to the left of us. Mm-hmm. And that thing just—I mean, Brian just disappears in that thing. 
but those panel blinds are awesome you can do so many more things with those panel blinds than you can like with the the traditional a-frames that we used to use number one if you have guys that are new um to setting those things up dude trying to set those a those a-frames up in the dark and you've never done it you look like a monkey trying to do a math problem because there is a very specific way that the frame snaps together and you have to have the front from what i understand you have to have the front and the back for it to kind of support itself mm-hmm. with the panel blinds i mean if you you can you you can unfold all the panels out you can fold half the panels out you can use the front and the back or just the front um in which where we were set we had those willow trees behind us um, and when they would circle behind us, they couldn't see us, so we didn't need the back panel, so we just used the back for the front and made the, the front twice as long. And so we were able to hide 10 guys, and we had birds lighting five yards in front of us. Yeah, they didn't have a clue. and Man, we shot. We no, saw, no, they had no clue. Man, we saw a lot of birds that day. It was, it was dumb. That first group that came in was over two or 300, I bet, and we didn't even, oh, yeah. we didn't even shoot into it. No, but what happened before that? Because you know, I, I kind of give a prayer um, before we start. Just that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Just want to mm-hmm. give thanks for the experience and being there and the guys that we're surrounded with. And it, it makes for interesting conversation a little bit later. Because um, you know, this passion of pursuit is a is a production of Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. It's a true ministry, mm-hmm. and so you get guys that. Um, that maybe kind of think about them. And we, and I actually had some conversations with some of those guys at the lodge, like later that evening, um, where they were believers, but the, the guys that they were hunting with didn't even know that. Like they had two believers in that group that didn't even know the other one was a believer. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty wild. It's just, it just doesn't get talked about enough. No, I mean, not like a bunch of other things, but you remember what happened in the middle of that prayer. Oh yeah. You're praying. And you're talking about uh, wanting to shoot birds in the face, which is my favorite uh, Joey line there. And <laughs> this, there is birds, is pitch black. So even if you were looking, you couldn't see them. And there's birds finishing. And that hen mallard was just, I mean, right in the hole. I mean, she sounded like she was on top yeah. of us. Just whap, 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 whap. And you're, what'd you say? I said, I'd love to shoot a bunch of birds in the face, especially that hen that is interrupting my prayer this morning. Oh, man. I just had chills. Like, I mean, Brian yeah. should be just deeply punished for not having audio going at that point. Because if that don't make you a believer right there, I don't know what will. Man, that was um, that that would be an Instagram post for the ages, just the audio. Yep. 100%. Because you you couldn't you couldn't take an audio file of a mallard duck and an audio file of my prayer and put them together and make it seem like it was at the same time, but it was at the same time. Yep, it you couldn't fake it any better than what it was. It was just the real deal. But I mean, that first group that came in, I think we knocked down fourteen or fifteen, um, which with ten guys shooting is kind of a shame. I mean, we should have had closer to twenty. You watch that video that I had on my cell phone, and there, yeah. there's at least seven or eight shots go off before a duck dies. Yeah. That's the, man, when you got a big group, that's the hardest thing to do. I'll, sometimes I'll stand back and watch guys, 
and they'll send two rounds downrange before they even have the gun on their shoulder. Yeah, they don't even know they're doing it. No, they and I do it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you've got a group of two to three hundred that are intent in landing in the blind with you, it kind of scrambles your eggs a little bit. Oh, big time. it's a little bit hard to focus on the fundamentals when they're trying to knock you know knock the blind down Mm -hmm. which is i mean that's awesome my favorite part of any duck hunt over water is the five minutes before shoot light right because the birds are just in and out of there and they're just and they're just loving it i i could leave them not fire a shot but what did we kill that first morning i don't even remember we shot i gotta see the picture yeah we shot 50. 50 Um, yeah. it was a, it was just a solid day, and I mean we could have ran more people in there. We didn't even hunt very long. Uh uh-uh. uh But it was just one of those deals. Everybody had had their fair share, and we were done, and we just got out of there. Um. Well, we spent most of the time combing the cattails for cripples. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and you're in the middle of that cornfield. It was just a. We wanted to be careful. <laughs> we didn't want to. Uh, to take more than our fair share that's for sure yeah we went back you remember we went back that next uh that next morning and we thought it was going to be a repeat um because as i'm setting decoys out like i'm in the dark i'm setting decoys out and i can make out the silhouette of decoys and then wait there's an extra no that's a greenhead that just landed Mm -hmm. like literally next to me oh yeah and it was just one of those mornings where it was so there wasn't a cloud in the sky it was crystal clear there's there's no breath of wind uh, so ice was trying to form a little bit and the birds got there about 27 minutes before they needed to. And then even the ones, yeah. even though it was crystal clear, it's still not great camera light. So we're still waiting, uh, to shoot thinking, you know, we're going to shoot 20 greenheads or whatever. And we shot like right. nine, Yeah. uh, which it was still, I mean, I'm ready to see that, that, uh, drone footage. Yeah, I've only seen – well, I think I only saw it after Brian filmed it. Like, I haven't seen it well, at, there you know, is when that, it's come out of post. that little teaser you guys put out. There's like a half a second of it on there. Yeah. And I and no one would even notice it. I would notice it because I've looked at that pond so many times from Google Maps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's going to look – it's going to look pretty sweet. You had a pretty epic teaser that Brian put together. For that me. was incredible. Everybody – everybody loved that one big time and i did too i mean that thing got shared around all over the thing that i told brian i was going to do it too and this happens to me a lot there is no rhyme or reason on why facebook will or won't let you sponsor certain posts um i've taken the word gun when advertising like a mm-hmm. price taking mm-hmm. the word gun out of it um sometimes you just have too, a video of too many ducks dying or a picture of too many dead ducks laying there, Facebook will not let you sponsor it. Um, right. And I was just, it was almost a thank you. I knew it was going to help my business out, but I also wanted to get out to as many eyes as possible just right. to, as a thanks to Brian because he did such a such a great job with it. Man, it. And a couple of those duck hunts weren't even good. He just made them look good. Yeah, he makes us look a lot cooler than we are that that's a fact i some of his (laughs) some of his stills he take i'm like man i'm almost cool you know um 
some of the ones that Tangle Free liked the best were that last morning where we had those A-frames set, the uh, the panel blinds set up on the A-frame and that other mm-hmm. pond. Yep. Um, they just look super, super, super cool. Well, I'm glad some... Like, I think I used one of them where he took a still of you, like, through the front of the panel blind. Yeah. And you were just all dreamy-eyed. I am. I told... Who is that? There's that... Uh, he's like... It's a good thing you're married already, because he, chicks... Like, <laughs> he's like 50 years old, that black dude that won... Uh, I know he's on, like, the Thor movies and some of the Avenger movies, but he's... Oh, he yeah. He won, like, uh, Sexiest Man Alive or something like that. Uh, I had a buddy saw that picture and told me my eyes looked like him. And I was like, you're dang right they do. Like, I was basically the runner up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad something good came of that morning. You got you got silver in that one. That's right. <laughs> but I'm glad something good came of that morning because uh, we'll let the viewers in on a little secret. Uh, we didn't shoot anything. No, we didn't. <laughs> Which doesn't happen very often. It happened more times this year. Than it's ever happened before. There was three or four hunts where we we fired some shots, but we didn't kill a bird. And there was one hunt we never fired a shot. And I never had had that happen, but we generally have understanding clients. And this everyone across the Midwest this year and the South, if you didn't have a bad day, you didn't hunt enough. And No, you're right. Because... From what I can see on social media, and what you're seeing on social media is a highlight reel of people's seasons and exactly. people's lives. And from what I could tell, we did better than most. I'm not saying yeah. we're the best guide service out there, but what you're seeing from me is what you're getting. No, and I, I can tell you, we've got a pretty pretty broad, wide, and deep network of guys um, across the flyway and all the way up into and through Canada. And it was just... I mean, you had good hunts, but there were no predictable front. Like I think you said, most of the fronts came from west to east, which doesn't doesn't do you a lot of good in pushing new birds in. Mm-mm. Like you, you're always hunting kind of stale birds, right? Correct. And that was that was the last year. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of fronts that were moving west to east. Um, I can I can tell you that, um, and you hear all the guys on social media talking about short stopping and all that we'll talk about that in a second um but it it truly is a function and an output a throughput of weather and if i I know from the timber that we hunt in the mississippi delta from hunting the same tree for 15 years i've gotten pretty knowledgeable on what weather needs to be to drive ducks into that spot and i've killed them in short sleeves before there i've killed them where you had to break ice to get in but the one constant is that the snow line in other words the ground that is covered by snow making feed unreachable has to be um down almost into arkansas yeah definitely covering missouri yeah that's what people don't talk about is the snow covering up their food Right, because um, they don't need a lot of water to drink. Really, they get most of that from their food. I mean, they're just like any other small animal, but they need their food covered up, so yeah. they have to. Mind, and they need they need those fronts to push through, because. And I hear a lot of people going, "Well, birds used to migrate. They used to photo migrate, meaning when the days got to a certain certain length, uh-huh. or 
lack of length. They get shorter. That now there are some birds that will do that, which I think most birds still they that, that's how they start their migration. Right. They start their migration as a photo migrator, but that doesn't mean that they're just I got to be here when the day's this length. Blah 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 blah. Like yeah, they're not going to use more energy than they have to. I, when we get a big push from the north, I tell you right now, those ducks have been flying since that front started or right before it and trying to stay ahead, ahead of it because we shoot giant mallards, and I'm talking lengthwise, that you can fit your hand around because they've been flying right. for two days and they haven't ate when a duck needs right. to, I don't know the exact number on it, but a duck eats like his body weight or something like that a day in food. Right. And they just haven't got it. So, I mean, if ducks have food, then they're fine. Like, they don't need to migrate. Like, they can sit on – they'll sit – I've heard stories of people in Nebraska. They had no snow, cold as all get out. It's so cold that the plat froze up. The ducks mm-hmm. just went and sat on the ice on the plat. Yeah. And duck season was closed, and they weren't getting shot. There's corn everywhere. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see the video of all the ducks landing on the grain train? Oh, that is insane! What was that like? Wisconsin or something like that? Minnesota, maybe. Uh it 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 had to be. But that right there shows you that now it was ice and snow mm-hmm. every place else, but you have grain trucks or grain, you know, trains, train cars with open tops full of grain. I'm assuming it's corn. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, but I'm assuming that it was, and it's it looked like that first morning hunt that we were talking about i mean they're ducks landing on top of train cars to get to feed so the feed is the most important thing and if the snow is covering the feed they are moving further south to find the edge of that snow line yeah because they're not going to work harder than they have to um no and i'm not no, saying and, some and, things don't need to change as far as some of that but the flooded corn deal that everyone's making a big deal about is not even a drop in the bucket on right like you're not going to change but but we see it like i can tell you um and i just read an article you know in south louisiana coastal erosion is just like it's it's a it's reaching crisis point i mean i i've got blinds that i hunted um or spots that i hunted in some of the management areas in the marsh like below new orleans Mm -hmm where we would go out and just i mean gray ducks teal and widgeon don't shoot a lot of greenheads there but gray ducks teal and widgeon are and pintail you just i mean you know 30 minutes after shooting light and you're done and you're picking up decoys and they're still coming in that's because we had a lot of fresher brackish water a lot of coontail a lot of sprangle top a lot of wild millet well now the salinity because we're losing the buffer land you know the buffer Mm -hmm. grounds that buffered that water from the gulf of mexico into the marsh is gone and so it's the salinity is much much higher now and those little islands and blinds that we would hunt they're in open they're in open water you know gulf of mexico open water and i think the it, I read it was something like a football field of land we lose every 24 hours on just on the Louisiana coast. That's crazy. And so what it's done now is it's concentrated the migration to two spots pretty much in coastal Louisiana. The mouth of the Mississippi River, which is 
always good if you know how to hunt it. And the southwestern part of the state, which is a lot of rice fields, controlled fresh water, um, that's where you see, that's where you shoot a lot of your geese, just a metric ton of speckle bellies, um, special bellies like we call them. Yeah. Um, and so you have the far, like on almost to the Texas coast, to the mouth of the Mississippi River where it's just deteriorating and there's no feed and those ducks either they migrate to the Mississippi River or they just keep going to Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Mexico's covered right oh, now. Oh, they're just completely covered up. So, I mean, you, <laughs> on one hand, you can't say the birds aren't getting, they got to be coming through at some point. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you another place. I'll tell you something else that I've noticed over the last um, I, I was I was really re- for years really big into um, uh, Delta waterfowl. I was I was the chapter uh, mm-hmm. chairman here for several years. Yeah. And but one of the things that I'd like to get into with you and kind of figure out where your head is. I think you're kind of wired like me. Um, but you see more and more refuges and sanctuaries that are built that are off limit to give migrating birds a resting place and i get it but the bottom line is you can't have as many sanctuaries and resting areas and think that you are not going to impact hunter success correct because you are you are migrating you you are altering the flyway correct which period i'm not sure what states this is going down because the feds say they're not doing it and you don't hear much out of each individual state. I haven't seen it in Kansas. The feds are funding it, and they and they probably are. At least that's the that's the word that I'm hearing. The feds aren't. The feds are saying that they have nothing to do with it. But you buy federal duck stamp. Correct. That money a lot a lot of that money goes into projects like that in organizations like Ducks Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Which if you're a DU guy, I'm going to piss you off, but I really don't care. Um, If you look at, look, it comes down to this. You have a limited you, Joe Hunter, me, you, Mm -hmm. anybody else listening to this podcast, has a limited amount of funds that they can use to support organizations that they feel have their best interest in mind. And if that's the case, you owe it to yourself to figure out where is this money going and am I having more success the same success or less success as I was before I started donating. In other words, for every dollar I donate, what does that do to the number of ducks I have in my bag after a hunt? And I don't care who you're aligned with. If you if you check websites, just, just look at the annual report. Look at where the money goes. Look at the tagline on the website, Ducks Unlimited. Their whole tagline is, um, the leader in wetland conservation. Mm-hmm. Now I get it. The, I just finished saying about how we are losing our wetlands in coastal Louisiana, and it is killing our success. But I need to see all the the money that you guys that that you guys are are having donated. They get a lot of the duck stamp money. I'm just speaking about Louisiana because I've been in some of those congressional fights. In arguments where we were supposed to split duck stamp funds from Louisiana, DU took Delta's duck stamp funds, and they still continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they build more and more and more impoundments to conserve waterfowl, but not so that we can hunt them. Yeah. Look, the bottom line is if you're not trying to help me kill more ducks, I, I don't have a dollar for you. Yeah. So my understanding on the science. So I was a biology major in college until I just realized I wanted to kill more things than I wanted to, uh, not, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm not a conservationist through and through. Like I said, I don't pull the trigger much anymore. In my opinion, money needs to go to nesting habitat. Right. Um, Nesting habitat is where we get more ducks from. The better the nesting habitat, the more hens and nesting pairs you can have, and the more successful they can be. There has been some organizations. I know Delta did at one time. I know, uh, gosh, what was that? Something about the the hens or save the hen. I don't remember what it was. Anyways, so there was some foundations that uh, all they did was not all they did but what they did a lot was uh trap they trap predators and yeah well that was that was delta's big yes that was delta's big push yes which predator management which i've read some studies on it and i don't know how much they're doing now was a giant waste of funding because it was about 75 dollars a duck that you were you were saving so I don't agree with that at all. Now, do I agree? What's I can't even think of his name off the top of my head. Do I think Ducks Unlimited's president, CEO, or whatever he's referred to as, needs to be paid over a half a million dollars a year? No. Uh, you need someone in there that's making some money, that's smart enough to make some good decisions. Um, but 15% of ducks are going to die yeah. every year. Um so, and we need more duck hunters. We need more hunters, period. So, in my opinion, I don't understand why we're building refuges. Um, things need to be hunted. Push the birds down south so you can have hunter success. So, hunters will continue hunting and we can recruit more hunters and just push them on down. And as long as the kill rate on birds or on ducks is 15% and that number might be primarily mallard so don't quote me on that but mm-hmm. if it is 15% and we can get more hunters to kill more birds and it still stays at 15% then why don't we do that well here so here's the here's the deal on first of all the predator control and this is what i learned being the the you know louisiana chairman for uh, I don't know, 10 years or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, predator control works depending on where you deploy, where it's deployed. So in marginal in, in marginal grasslands or marginal pothole regions where um, you have, like in really dry years, um, where the birds can't, um, can't spread out, mm-hmm. predator control absolutely works oh i yeah i agree absolutely works because your biggest your your biggest component of predator control in a wet year is water mm-hmm. the if the predator if if skunks and fox which is 
most of what we're talking about skunks for the eggs uh raccoons or skunks for the eggs and fox for the hens mm-hmm. um if they can't find the nest then you know so what what delta found was trapping on on large pothole regions that are full of water you you didn't that's the numbers that you were talking about and i don't know if it's 75 bucks a duck or whatever it was but it it just it wasn't it wasn't effective and it wasn't a good efficient use Mm -hmm. of the money that they have been donated which i'm glad they looked at it that way Mm -hmm. um because they don't have half million dollar ceos they don't have big huge offices if you saw the delta office it it looks like um it looks like a little haircut salon in a strip mall. I mean, it's really, really blue collar, mm-hmm. right? Um, but where they found predator control very effective is when the grass, when the nesting cover was not as prolific and as spread out um, as when you have really, really wet years. Um, that's when nest success, and that's how they measure it, is nest success. Mm-hmm. Um so making your whole and, and this is the rap that delta got oh all they want to do is kill predators no that like the hen house program that you were talking about that it's, was a delta program yeah yeah um so it, it predator control was a was a tool was a component that when used in the right place at the right time under the right conditions was absolutely successful hen house the the hen house program and the wood duck box program you know here but the the hen house program was wildly successful but it's it's only going to be successful if you put those hen houses in the right places you know if you go up like through saskatchewan north dakota south dakota a mallard duck will land will land and nest in a ditch if there's water there oh yeah and if that's the only source of water around she's dead and <laughs> she will never lay another egg yeah ever Exactly. Because she's so easily found by all the predators that just, you know, cruise that they know. And so I guess that's my point is Delta has always put out there what they've done that works and what they've done that doesn't work and that they are not going to do again. But, you know, the other side of the coin, that's one of the few conservation or that's one of the few conservation organizations that it that's right up there in their tie on, in their tagline for the future of ducks and the future of duck hunting. Where Delta spends most of their money is hunter recruitment, mm-hmm. and I don't really see that from a lot of other waterfowl, quote unquote, conservation organizations. Yeah, some have a, a different program that's designed at youth that are already hunting, but the one thing that was unique about the money that our chapter raised is we got to keep upwards of 10% of those funds to be used locally in our own backyards to recruit hunters. And we absolutely did. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I was, I was reading an article on uh, the number of duck stamps sold and you know, when the, when the price went up from, from 15 to 25 dollars they're like oh they're you know they're going to sell a lot fewer duck stamps no they still they still sold a million and a half duck stamps yeah, i don't care how much it costs i'd buy one yeah but the the bottom line is you got to look and see if you have a limited amount of money to donate to an organization every year are they aligned with your goals and what what interests you 
Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't donate to PETA because I think that they are terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't align well with their mission statement. Mm-hmm. I do donate to Delta because I do align very much with their mission statement. I don't donate to DU anymore because I don't find their mission statement aligns with my interest very well. It's great to preserve wetlands, but the bottom line is when I leave that marsh that I was telling you about and I drive through different refuge systems or different sanctuaries and we left that morning not hardly seeing a bird that we could shoot at and you think that the birds haven't moved south and you drive just 15 minutes north and you see some of these refuges that you could walk across the mallard, gray duck, widgeon, and pintail, and teal. Mm -hmm. And once they get used to going there, they're not going anyplace else. Oh, yeah, they're being imprinted on that ground, um, for sure. So I don't think any organization is perfect by any means, and I feel like at least it's the common belief these days that at the top of DU, there is stuff being done to benefit certain in- individuals rather than other people as a whole. So maybe DU needs to uh, take a different different outlook and kind of change what they're doing. I, I, I don't. I, I don't agree with that. I mean, look, if you're if you are all about preserving wetlands, then don't, that's fine. Be honest, say that, but don't be surprised when you have duck hunters scratching their head going, okay, well, I spent a thousand dollars at the last banquet and I did the same thing the year before and the year before that and the year before that. And I'm seeing fewer and fewer birds. Tell me how you guys are benefit. Look, all I'm saying is Find out how the organizations that you donate to are spending your money and if that expenditure is making you more or less successful. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, which which makes sense for sure. I mean, I don't know, haven't done much reading on it, but I know other than turkey hunting, waterfowl is one of the biggest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, for lack of a better term, I guess successes in in our country's history as far as uh, rebounding their numbers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know who's to credit for that. Maybe it's just Mother Nature. Maybe DU or Delta has few or nothing to do with it. Maybe they have one of them has a lot to do with it. I don't know, man. There's there's so many variables when it comes to managing duck numbers. So, so much different than turkey or deer, like the DMAP programs that, you know, a lot of different states have for really controlling the amount of does that you have on a piece of property versus the amount of bucks and what's the right ratio. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's very specific, geographically specific, yeah. because deer don't migrate from Canada. Turkeys don't migrate from Canada. It's on a very, it's, it's, a, it's a micro level program. Mm-hmm that the variables aren't as great geographically, right? Correct. Waterfowl, on the other hand, ducks and geese. Uh, Look, I'm with you. If you look at the funnel of 
where the greatest impact, if your goal is to create ducks for duck hunters to shoot and eat, the best place to spend that money is in the prairie pothole region, Mm -hmm. especially if you have a limited amount of funds. I I mean, the bottom line is you can't, and, and Delta found this out really early on, you can't just go buy all the land that there is. You've got to have a better way of working with farmers, not shoving legislation down their throat. And Delta Canada really figured this out. Um, Look, subsidizing farmers for marginal areas of – you have those marginal areas of a farm, like as you got close to that pond that we hunted, Mm -hmm. right? Well, certain areas around that pond are just – you're not going to plant. They're marginal areas. It's not even worth really wasting your time on that because you're not going to get the yield out of that Correct. You know, yeah. it's just too wet. Yeah, they just bail it every so, year. Yeah, so, Maybe. you know, that's where Delta will come in with a, a, a program like their, like a CRP or WRP program mm-hmm. that is built specifically for those marginal areas. Because you can't just go buy the whole farm. Uh, I, you, you can't do it. There's not enough money to go buy all the – so let's work with the landowners and – identifying and locating these areas of marginal yield and compensating farmers for leaving that area alone and run your farm the way you want to run your farm Mm -hmm. but leave these areas for nesting habitat and that sort of thing especially when you get into north dakota and, and southern saskatchewan yeah which to my understanding so delta and du are helping landowners and farmers, if you will, get into these programs, and that's the common misconception. But what's the uh, the new Louisiana Flyway Federation or something, yeah. whatever it's called? He, I know that guy's pushing a lot of uh, all these numbers about all these acreages in WRP and stuff like that, and like the government's helping these people mm-hmm. buy ground, or whatever. Like I was reading up on it the other day, and. He's putting all these acres acres out there. Well, that's a that number's huge or whatever, but only five percent of that can actually be flooded. Yeah. And stuff I don't like know that. much about that. I'm gonna have to I think that dude's name is Goings. Yeah, Josh Goings or something like that. I'll have like to read that. about that. He is I heard he was on uh somebody had a podcast. He was on the Big Honker podcast and I listened to him there. But he was also on and they didn't question him a whole lot. They did okay. They didn't want to like just like be mean to the guy because they want people to come on their show. But I heard he was on another podcast and Delta and DU had representatives on the podcast and they got to give their spiel because right now they're almost hand in hand going against this guy. And uh, they got to go have their spiel. And then he got for a total of about 45 minutes is my understanding. I was listening mm-hmm. to End of the Line podcast this morning. They were talking about it. And then for over an hour, he got to go on there and talk about a bunch of things with no repercussions. Nobody's to question him on anything. And from what these guys are saying is a No lot devil's of, advocate uh, whatsoever. It, yeah, just a free play. A lot of the stuff he's saying is not true. So yeah. – and there's a lot of people that are going to – that want to believe every word out of his mouth, so they're going to. Well, that's because he's – and look, again, I'll have to read and listen. I don't know. But guys like that you find that are saying what people want to hear, 
have kind of the the big followings but you know the science has got it that's which is all i'm saying look at the science and look at where the organizations that you align yourself with are they aligned with what you look i don't know what purpose a mallard duck has than to make a fantastic gumbo for me yeah i really don't they're not going to cure cancer Mm -hmm. um they're not going to stop you know the green new deal from cortez <laughs> they're not gonna, it, you know what i'm saying it's not gonna yeah, stop and cortez. i don't know what part in the ecosystem they have i obviously there's an effect if we didn't have ducks it would change something i don't know yeah, what that and is. i'm not saying kill them all no but no. you know the average the average harvest that's why the the limits um just you know organically let's just say the duck limits are six per mm-hmm. hunter right mm-hmm. dude the the average hunter harvest is just under three birds per hunt like 2.7 if that ever got up close to like four or five average that's why the hip surveys are so important you fill those out um but if the number ever got to like four or five you would see the limits go back down the way they were in the in the 80s yeah the uh i was actually looking some stuff up recently and i don't remember if i screenshot it or what but the average hunter in louisiana shoots like 11 ducks a season and obviously some guys are hunting all the time and oh, yeah. some guys are not hunting very much so yeah in arkansas there's more duck shot i think in arkansas than any other place in the country and that uh, no- you need yeah that that might be right i know that California is pretty high. Yes, uh, the, for a couple of reasons, just because they their their seasons are like over a hundred days. True, but the reason it's like that is because they don't have near as many people hunting, and that's right. why they can shoot more ducks and everything else. But Arkansas, the average guy in Arkansas shoots like thirteen or fifteen ducks a season. So, yeah, but then you have variables about like how many days did you hunt? You know, like oh, if, exactly. if I stopped. If I stopped, if I only hunted that one morning with you where we shot 50, well, my average is going to be up, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why, the, yeah, no, that's why it's an important for how many days you're hunting for sure. Um, I mean, hunting down here in Louisiana, if and you got to come down here, dude. I know I need to. You know, I, I mean, get invited I that, all over the country, but it's just our season runs, starts pretty late and runs as late as everybody, so it's. One. And look, I'm not talking about just for we're getting ready to start boiling crawfish. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting ready to start catching a bunch of fish in the marsh. But hunting and fishing in Louisiana is uh, it's unlike any other place. I mean, it's a it's a it's a fun pastime, and it's certainly it's it's you know maybe a little bit deeper in guys' lives in other mm-hmm. parts of the country, but. I mean, when you look at the history of market hunting down here, yeah, it's it. I don't know any, and it sounds cliche to say it's a way of life, but it for many, many, many years, it really, it it is. I mean, it's a religion. We take here. a lot of people hunting from Louisiana, and you guys are the most passionate and best hunters that we take on average. It doesn't mean someone from somewhere else doesn't yeah. love what they do and aren't better at than anybody else but just for your average for your average guy from louisiana 
you are a hunting, hunting fool. And that's why you guys are so passionate about like everything that's going on up north because you want to shoot shit in the face. And that's all there is to it. And so, yeah, like legit. Yes. So, and as we go through these times where, which has happened before, I know, but we have a lot of newer hunters in, um, in today's day and age. There's a lot of hunter, hunting numbers went down. And I think, yeah. love it or hate it, uh, Duck Dynasty brought a lot of new hunters in, which this, yeah. which this sport really needed. So there's a lot of new hunters in that came into hunting when hunting was, duck hunting was at the top of its game. And now we're on that downhill slide where we haven't had those winners and stuff like that. And if we don't get those right. winners and there's still these refuges up north and different things, and I cannot tell you, obviously me and you keep saying this, you know, we don't know all the answers. I haven't even been up north, so I couldn't tell you what is up there, what's not up there. If there's something going on that is holding ducks, then we need to look at something differently. But one way or the other, if we get the weather again, they're going to get to you. And yeah. if we had the, if we had a hard winter and everybody hammered ducks down there, you would not see the uproar on social media. That is oh, going no. On right now. No. no, I mean, social media gets the the hot topic at the time mm-hmm. um there's 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 so few long-lasting ground roots like just organic cause related organizations on social media social media is really just look at me right now mm-hmm. i'm having a lot of success but don't don't look at me like two days from now because i might not look as cool as i look right now it's it's very very much in the moment kind of thing oh but it's it's what have you done for me lately yeah. magnified even more you you can't approach an issue like we're having with waterfowl with a snapshot in time it's no. it's impossible you, you can't you can't you can't affect positive change with a snapshot in time of well these guys are killing them well okay that picture was from three years ago yeah you can't believe <laughs> everything you see first thing you know because everything on facebook is true obviously um yeah anything on the internet is true one thing I want to do, um, and we talk about it like we talked about it last year, but I really would like to come up and kill a turkey. You need because to. Because you need to. I will say this, I've never killed one. Oh, my, dude. You, you got to kill I haven't. But I'm afraid to, dude, because I've heard that it's – now, I've been, uh, I've been turkey hunting. I've been super, super close. I mean, I've had one on the other side of a of – a, briar thicket that i could just barely see that was spitting and drumming and he sounded like he was in my lap he felt like he was in my lap so i i get the the hook and the excitement i mean i've heard that it's worse than like crystal meth oh dude it's it's so cool man i that's another thing you sneak in in the dark and you get pretty close to his roost tree and he hammers that first time in the morning that's there's not another feeling like it in the world. I mean, it's, I sure do love that those mallards. Cause your anticipation right just oh. has to go. Like I'm right under the tree. I'm going to kill this bird all up in the neck. Oh dude. It's, it's incredible. And in Kansas, right. there's so many open spaces where gosh, you get these birds and if they can see you, yeah, they're probably going to come. I mean, I can't give away too many secrets here on the air, you know, but, uh, we, right. we kill probably 50 turkeys a season, and every single one of now, them is awesome. Now, do you do you have to get um, 
because we talked in the past so much of Kansas is privately owned, like 98% of the state mm-hmm. is privately owned. So there's very few, um, there's very few public access, uh, I guess, like wildlife management areas. Although I think we passed one there, when we were there. There is, there is very few in the percentage of things. Not and Kansas isn't a huge state. It's not a small state. So even though it's 98% public or privately owned, there is some phenomenal public ground. Not to mention some walk-in hunting really? areas that the state leases from private landowners. But some of the public hunting is – there's a – I'm not going to say where it's at because I'd piss off too many people. But there is a <laughs> public area that I know about that over 120 tom turkeys are shot off of each spring, and it's not very big. But didn't – I feel like we passed one of those spots um, – we went and did an evening film shoot, and I think it was the same pond that we hunted the year before, like that first morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that you sent us to. Yeah, isn't there a walk-in spot somewhere around there? Like I, I feel like I there's saw. A several, sign there's for, oh, there's one right next to where you, when you pulled in, there's a walk-in. Yeah, a walk-in spot, and there's a pond okay. on it. Uh, that's, All right, then I wasn't seeing. No, stuff. that's owned by one of my uh, college roommates' family. Okay, um, they own that. They put but a lot so, of their ground into walk-in hunting, but right. you're not far from a wildlife refuge. Where there's some phenomenal turkey hunting, deer hunting, duck hunting. Really? I mean, there's multiple opportunities for public hunting in Kansas. So if you're going to turkey hunt, do you have to approach, like, permission to hunt that spot the same way you would if you're going to set up a big goose spread or a duck hunt? <sighs> kind of. In Kansas, no one really cares about ducks and geese, I should say. Now, if they don't know you... They're yeah. probably not going to tell you yes. Now, if I grew up here. My dad grew up here. Uh, my grandparents lived here for a long time. Both sets. One one grandparent was a barber. So for years, uh, and even now, I can generally get a connection with a landowner and get permission. A lot of people can't. It's one of those deals. Turkey hunting is that much harder. Even though a lot of farmers want them dead. It's that much harder. Deer and turkey, because we have knowledgeable landowners. Now, why do they want them dead, though? Because they think they're hard on their crops. Um, and I don't have any. Really? I, yep. I don't have any stats to prove it. Now, come right before harvest time, I have seen turkeys do it. Because I started looking for it because I had a landowner tell me about it. I have seen turkeys fly out of the roost in the morning and glide and rub their belly and wingtips across the top of soybeans. As long as they can glide and they will land and they will turn around and walk straight back that same path they just flew and eat the beans they just knocked off of the plants. So they don't like that fact. Just as, you know, snow geese, especially where you're from, get a bad rap with eating wheat and stuff like that. Well, as a guy that mows yards in the summertime, wheat here, typically when snow geese are here, the ground's frozen. And all it is is a grass, so they're eating the top of it. Well, it's still going to grow. I don't think it's hurting yeah. their yields one way or the other. Now, if it's not frozen, like where you're living, oh, they'll destroy. They're it. ripping it out of the ground, and they're eating the root system. I mean, yeah, there's there it, it's destroying the crop. So I don't think deer and turkey where we're at is doing damage. I mean, it might no. Well, that, it that's what bit, I was going to say. I, I would think that deer herds or deer population would be harder on a agricultural field than a turkey would. Yeah. So some people want them dead, but 
some people just like to look at them too because deer hunting 40 years ago was horrible. There wasn't deer here. If someone saw a deer, they went and woke you out of, got you out of your house really? and come check it out. Yeah, and we didn't have turkeys. So some people just like to see them. We got, yeah. we, I mean, turkey hunting is the most successful conservation effort. Probably. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, we didn't uh, 100% have. 100% without a doubt. We didn't have turkey hunting at all. And so, and now it's, Kansas is one of the best states to do it. So a lot of landowners like seeing them and they understand, I put it in this perspective, duck hunting, once you get below the Dakotas, ducks and geese are like a renewable resource and maybe even once mm-hmm. you get below the canada border uh there seems like there's always new ducks and geese coming and because people don't see them during the summer we do not have other than some blue wings and some wood ducks and some local well geese, that's the thing we don't have a nesting population um yeah. you go into some of the bigger towns and cities like emporia wichita they have some mallards um but we don't have any around here at all in these rural communities right. so right and that's that's what I was saying before that um, the conservation efforts and and the the resource efforts like for turkey and deer you see those results year round because you see the new fawns you see you know you collect sheds so you know there's a huge you know swamp donkey running around someplace but it's like once February March is over no one really thinks about ducks and geese really below i would say north dakota or even higher like you said yeah they really don't um and then they get here every year and people oh cool you know so it's just this thing that it's this thing that gets a lot of noise you know from november to january or february Mm -hmm. and because of social media people that actually hunt you know they're my season booking hunts uh, buying gear, working on blinds and the lodge. My season's year-round. But for the majority of people, because duck hunters are very few and far between, realistically, it's the season's short. They see birds and then whatever. People stop knocking on the door to hunt, whatever it may be. But, but there's only so many deer and turkeys, I guess what I'm trying to say. And ducks and geese, where I'm from, almost seems like a renewable resource. They're always here. Yeah. So, I guess so. It's just a little. We saw a lot of turkeys right by your lodge. When there we is. It's lodge. a Walmart. Right around the lodge is loaded with turkeys. And in the wintertime, they group up into big wintering flocks. And it's yeah. And it's pretty good. Um, they don't mind the truck until the truck stops. Yeah. <laughs> there's a few people around that are probably causing that. Yeah. Um, but, it didn't take me long to figure out what the cause of that problem Yeah, was. there's a few people that'll, that I'm sure aren't exactly the most stand-up citizens doing that. I'm not one of them. I can tell you some stories of guys I know. Speaking of which, that good pond we had to hunt on, the last time we hunted it was mid-January when season opened back up for ducks here after our split. And this guy actually commented this on one of my posts the other day, which so he just admitted to it himself. I'm still not going to say his name here on the air, but he... His response to me after the hunt was, because it was awesome. You know, we were in and out quick, 25 mallards, I think 23 were greenheads. And I said, well, what do you think of that, man? And he said, honestly, that's the best legal hunt I've ever been on. And I I just was like, what are you you talking about? And he's like, well, generally our best hunting is in in, uh, March or April. I was like, 
Well, it was Adam that said it. Adam was like, oh, Snow Goose hunting. And he's like, oh, no, Mallards. And I'm like, good. Good Lord. Which he's sure. like, he's like, it's been years since they've done that. So sure. it wasn't like it was a uh, reasonable or like a reasonably new thing or whatever. But I was like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Well, there ain't going to be none of that here. It's all legal no. here. No. How far is your second lodge from where your first one is? About three hours. Three and a half. Oh, so it's out there. Yeah. I will do a lot of traveling in between. So let me ask you, so you're you're pretty locked in with a lot of the landowners. I mean, you've been there, you know, like in Waverly forever, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And you're pretty locked in with the landowners that you have local around your first lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other operations that are um that are that are running where your new lodge is that you're going to have to compete with for access nothing big um when i made a post there was one of the larger outfitters in the state text me and said hey where you go where are you going to be at and uh no and i was nowhere near him and he said that a boy go make you some money and uh just stay out of my backyard it's nothing like there's a guy that's pretty local here that does not know what he's doing. I don't worry about him. And then there's another the group of younger guys that do a very good job. And uh, we may be 30 minutes apart, but very rarely do we ever run into each other. Just because mm-hmm. we all kind of have our own stuff and we all just kind of stay away from each other. And and so we yeah. have nothing but respect for one another. And there's a couple other large guide services in the state that I have nothing but respect for and would not even think about going into their territory and I'm assuming they I and then I'm hoping they have that respect for me. I've haven't had any problems. Um, right. And if something did come up, I wouldn't think it would be on purpose, and I would, you know, openly be like, "Hey, don't really appreciate yeah. that." You know what I mean? Like, there's plenty of ground. Well, what made you What made you make that far of a move? If it, is it just because it's in another zone and it expands your season? Yes, it expands the season. Um, I'm only going to take. I know how many hunters I can take and be successful day in and day out here. Um, so I was booked so fast and we've ran some hunt groups out there. So I just want to keep adding a little bit out there until I'm running two places full time. Uh, I could have, you know, I could just charge more and only take X amount of people here. But then I get into the clientele of people that I don't want to hang out with because I'm not a babysitter. Yeah. Um, I just have no desire to load someone's shotgun and then go cook them a five course meal and and everything else. I'm that's just not the type of person I am. I I want to hunt with blue collar middle class people. Yeah, yeah. Um, five 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 class meal. Let me tell you. So the one thing that I was super excited about you getting your own place your own lodge is the ability to cook for my group um or any other group you know just the because if you are in emporia or lebo right and you're not staying with travis sipe you're probably staying at the wyatt earp inn which is a great place very very convenient you know with uh with where you hunt and with where we meet up and everything else. But the, the dude, I'm just going to say it. I, I guess maybe I'm a food snob because I'm from Louisiana and we kind of know what good groceries are. 
But if you're not into having the truck stop buffet every day or Wendy's, you will starve to death. Oh, yeah. Literally. And you guys make, I mean, you people from Louisiana make some crazy good food. I am my old... Uh, my old system sometimes can't even handle how uh, spicy <laughs> it can be sometimes. I sure enjoy it the first time, but the next morning, I, it is a struggle. I might as well wake up 30 minutes early because I'll be, I'm going to be miserable for a while. You, you'll be busy. Yes, for, for sure. Um, but Tied yeah, up. Which I can eat that buffet and I can go throw down some Wendy's a lot. It is, it, it, I do enjoy it, um, but it is nice to have a place where you can see, even with the hunting's not good. I mean, when the hunting's good, it's just a plus. When the hunting's not yeah. so great, you know, you still have a good time. You can sit down, grill a steak, drink a beer, and just bullshit yeah. and have a good time. Yeah. And you know, that's what I think is uh, is so important for guys that are. You know, we talked about hunter recruitment and bringing new guys in. And somebody asked me, you know, to somebody, one of the podcasts I was on said someone new is getting into the sport what's the number one thing you can tell them and i just really without even thinking said you need to temper your expectations because and and open your mind to the whole experience of what's going on from the setup to the hunt the anticipation the hunt itself what happens afterwards what do you do with the stuff that you kill how do you get and the sense of community that you have with the guys that you share camp with you you need to you need to count it all as the experience and not just oh we're going to go whack and stack everything it doesn't happen anymore and so if you can temper your expectations as to what you're truly there for uh like for myself i travel probably 80 percent of the time for work i'm i'm gone Monday through Thursday, almost every week. And so I get really, really engrossed in work and there's so many things going on, so many things that pull up my attention, you know, of course, family and having three teenage daughters. And it's just, it's good to get out and reconnect with guys that are looking to get out and reconnect and leave a bunch of that crap um, temporarily at home and get back to you know, we were created, people were created as hunters because if we weren't, we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And so I think through generations and generations, we kind of lose that um, that sense of who we were created to be. And it's just good to get, but without getting into a big philosophical, theological discussion, it's good to just reconnect and say, yeah, this is... I enjoy these places because I was created by a creator that created these places and enjoyed them. And when he finished creating them, he called them good. And so I would tell people that are just getting into the sport now, the hunt is certainly an important thing, but it's not the only thing. I, I'd agree a hundred percent. I, I personally hunt just cause I love it. Um, and a great side effect of it is that I feel closest to God when I'm hunting yeah, and not, not the killing, the hunting. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people in today's fast paced social media driven world are all about the kill and not about the hunt. And I understand it 
to an extent, and that's why I have a somewhat successful business, is because I understand if I don't kill birds, I'm not going to have a business. That's not the only reason why people come and hunt with me here in Kansas, um, but it's part of it. That's how I that's how I grew relatively quickly because yeah. I know how to kill shit and I employ people that know how to kill shit. Yeah, but I can tell you we hunt with a lot of guys, right? So from Louisiana all the way up through Kansas, and we we have a great time with that. That's one of the things that I think has been the biggest benefit of. Uh, filming our series and just getting out to do things the way is we meet some pretty incredible guys. We meet some guys that, uh, you know, some of them are like, um, thanks. And we probably won't be seeing this dude again because he just got in a fist fight with a guy at the launch. And, you know, it's really not who we want, but guys like you guys, especially guys like, like you, Ronnie Kondo and his crew, that just work so and they they are passionate about the work they're, they're passionate about the, the the byproduct of the work being the kill but they're passionate about the game of figuring it out where where are we going to set up to fool these things that are really don't want to be fooled and so they're passionate about putting the whole puzzle together and then enjoying that experience afterwards and talking about it and reliving it yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what it's all about. That's the game, right? Fooling things that really don't want to be fooled. Exactly. And they've made it down as far as you are because other people didn't fool them along the way. Yeah. As, especially down. As a fact, well, you shot right? the, one of the first times uh, we hunted together was that, uh, was it the first time? I don't remember. The ditch? We, we hunted that ditch. You shot that, was a 13-year-old banded Canada from Manitoba? Yeah. I mean, how many spreads yeah, was, that went through before? Dude, that thing was banded in the Arctic Circle. Crazy. When I got the, you know, I just saw the certificate. Hang on a second. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got the certificate right here in front of me. Banded. Let's see. Sedgwick. Yeah, it was in Sedgwick County. Um, was too young to fly. Oh, no, this is the second one I killed. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is not the one. Um, yeah, the one you're talking about was a 13-year-old Greater Canada that was banded in, like, almost the Arctic Circle. I don't remember the name of the island, but, like, I'm sure there's, like, bears and shit there. I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, probably. <laughs> Um, you know, like it's up there. Did Brian spot it first? Yeah, he actually. It was uh, he got it. He got the band on film. Yeah, Ronnie Condo was with us too that uh-huh. wasn't he? Yeah, because he shot that um that Brewers duck. He shot that Brewers duck. You remember? Oh yeah. But yeah, Brian said one of them's banded, and I would love to. St- I would love to say that I saw it, but I didn't. I just shot the one that Ronnie said to shoot. Yeah, because I think Ronnie Ronnie had either seen it or knew exactly which one Brian was yeah. talking about. Which talk about how impressive that camera is, that reds that he can oh, see it because you would, there's no other way you'd be able to to, to spot no. it out. He was looking through a camera. No, um, but now Brewer's duck. I'll tell you people how that how that got shot before we get off of here. Um, we were still setting up. 
and that group of like five ducks is flying around and I'm out there getting a decoy set up or I was hiding blind bags or something Mm -hmm. and I saw them fly over and I knew that one in the middle was a brewer's duck because it stuck out like a sore thumb with those Drake Mallards and I am crawling back to the blind and I was full intention on not telling anybody what I had just seen. (laughs) I am trying to get back to the blind and get my gun because it wasn't like I was guiding or anything. I was, I mean, I yeah. was just, it was a buddy hunt type deal. And I am No, you were this. in bushwhack mode. And then this, these are, they're going to, they're just like finishing perfectly. And it's the last day for ducks, but like people were kind of waiting on me. Um, and I just said, That's so how we rolled. And I just said, someone kill that duck in the middle. Why Ronnie stands up and shoots once and doesn't keep shooting and why nobody else shoots the other ducks i have no idea but i remember it dropped and ronnie and we weren't set up for camera for uh to shoot any film or nothing like that yet but uh ronnie goes well i got my drake and i remember telling him i said yeah you got your drake but it's not a mallard and he's like what do you mean and then i took a step back because i was like well i better not say nothing because i'm like what if i'm wrong but i walk out there and sure shit there's that stinking brewer's duck and man that was cool. And Ronnie's got that mounted in his basement, doesn't he? Yeah, it's it's mounted. I was gonna say it's mounted downstairs. I saw it last yep. year, or it's upstairs, right? It's an impressive um, bird. We've also size. shot a. We also have shot a uh, what they call a mule, the uh, mallard pintail hybrid, which was yeah. an impressively large and beautiful duck. And then my claim to fame for a while was we uh, we shot a barnacle goose. Really? Yep, we shot a barnacle goose about. Two and a half miles from where the lodge actually is at, as the crow flies. I didn't even know that. Yep. It was impressive as heck. So when Verizon uh, had that commercial there for a while, and they had those barnacle geese on it, not that they knew what they were, but they had they went from Canada's to barnacle geese flying by the camera. I got tagged in that dang video on Facebook more times. and <laughs> Oh, my gosh. It was crazy, which I was pretty cool. I didn't make it home with that bird either, but it's just pretty cool to – see that stuff that the day we shot a the mallard pinto hybrid um i believe habitat flats shot a widgeon teal hybrid or a widgeon gadwall hybrid or they shot a hybrid also and so that is the first and last time my business and my name will be used in the same sentence as habitat flats and habitat tony vandemore on the yeah. interwebs so that was cool while it lasted I don't know. Maybe I'm just paying more attention to it, but if it seems like we're seeing a lot more of those hybrids. Yes. Killed. Which in social media, I guarantee you has a play. In yeah. That, you know, yeah, I guess that. so. Just because people are posting it. Um, but mallard ducks will literally screw anything and they will rape anything. And from my understanding, so if an argument people say is why don't we, there's ducks everywhere right now in February. Why don't we have the season last a couple weeks longer? Hmm. Well, Towards the end of January, towards the end of January, early February, the ducks are pairing up. Right. And so if you shot a drake that was already paired up, that hen, somewhere in her migration back north, has to find a mating pair. And the problem is there might be five drakes find her at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they are all going to get their little piece of action. And in the process, right. you might kill her. Yeah. Because it's just a freaking frenzy, for a more appropriate term. Yeah, well, solution there is just kill both of them. That's right. You know, fly together, die together. That's my philosophy. That's right. 
Like bad boys, ride together with <laughs> Oh, that's a good movie. <laughs> that's some good stuff there. How long, so, uh, you know, an hour and a half into the podcast, I finally get to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Um, <laughs> we should talk about Which means before. it's a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, you started Duck Wild Waterfowl how long ago? Unofficially, the fall of 2011. Okay. Officially... The late spring, early summer, whatever it works out of, uh, the May 2016. Okay. So it wasn't nothing serious until May 2016. So what made you decide to just, you know, say this is, this is what I'm going to do for a, well, for a living running track. I got my foot in the door because I, I was so busy running track. It was either get a job over Christmas break, um, and because of workouts over Christmas break, it was either get a job or find a way to make some money duck hunting because I couldn't do mm-hmm. both. So I mm-hmm. found a way to make some money duck hunting. Um, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. Back then, I posted pictures every day whether I was killing them or not. And now I don't just because I don't want people to know where I'm at. But I posted pictures, and it it grew some attention. Um and people just knew me because I killed a lot of greenheads. And people wanted to come here because I killed a lot of greenheads. And people do now, too. Um, and new people that come, when they get here, they're like, wow, you're totally not Tony Vandermore. You're just some regular old schmo. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I am, guys. And then <laughs> I think they have some doubts. And then we kill a bunch of ducks. And then they're like, okay, well, even though you're a douchebag, at least you know how to kill <laughs> ducks. So. No, not true. <laughs> so I, I never had that. I don't know. Because I'm scouting a lot, I do run into the people want to hunt with me some. Um, yeah. And I just have to keep reminding them, like, hey, I'm telling you, not that cool. But uh, since I won't be coaching as much, <laughs> I'll definitely get to spend more time at the lodge from here on out and interact more. Not that I didn't any chance I could get. Um, it was just I had so much going on. I mean – Running this business and getting it to where it was took a lot of time and money. And not that people don't understand that, but some people just don't think of it. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, I'm coaching something at all times and always got a couple other side jobs going on. I was just trying, I've been trying to make ends meet, you know, and still am so I can do this, do what I love. And look, what I didn't realize until this year was you, you have to contribute financially to some of these farmers to get access to their land yep i pay now if we're if i'm fun hunting with buddies i don't um Uh because i've grown up hunting forever on all these ground they don't care um i I try to leave places better than how i found them if i see a farmer you know i haul hay some for for some of the farmers in the summertime i did some square bales for a guy that we hunted on a lot two years ago i've hunted Mm -hmm. on him maybe two times last season didn't even hunt on him this year and this last spring i hauled square bales for him for a day um that's and that's that's not a pat on the back for myself but i just trying to be that's what you do here everybody just helps everybody out yeah but there's a lot of guys there that don't yeah you're probably right um but there's a uh I just there's a, a lot small... of quote unquote yeah there's a lot of professional guides oh who um who really I don't know yeah, I agree <laughs> who really but, don't see it the same way you do but I'm a 
whether I was guided or not, I would do this. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm a I'm a citizen of Waverly, Kansas. Before I'm anything else, I I mean, I guess I'm a husband um, and a son or whatever. You yeah, you're definitely a there. husband now. Yes, I I, I am. But no I, guess about it. But someone in Waverly needs help doing something. I want to help. Them. I mean, they've helped raise me to who I am. It's right. a it's a community effort on raising today's youth in small towns, and that I wish it was yeah. like that like that everywhere so but yeah after we're done hunting on the season i go write everybody a check for uh for letting us hunt and they are all very thankful some of them don't want to take it but you know i have to argue so that's more of a travis sipe thing than the farmers saying hey you you know to hunt here you're gonna pay me x and i'm sure it helps uh for sure it's got to um not that any of them need it some might i don't know i'm not their financial advisor or anything like that but some of them and it's just human nature but and i go i'll go drink my chocolate milk while the farmers are drinking coffee and they're giving crap (laughs) and i'll ask they'll ask me what i'm doing and i'll tell them and they're like man i wish i had duck guide money and i'll find ways to work (laughs) it in and say man i wish i had farmer money and we give each other crap um, but by paying them, it just there's that open dialogue there, and we can we can joke about stuff. Yeah. Um, other than if I'm not around or if I am around, that joke might be a little more serious. Like, man, I wish I had some of that money, and and blah blah blah. I mean, it's just a it's just a jealous world. That's why it's, you see so many people posting stuff about yeah. killing birds and everything. And there's a lot of guide services out there that are just kill, 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 kill. And I look at that side of the business too, but I also look at the at the side of the business that is, I'm putting this amount of money into something, and I got to make this amount of money out of it. Right. And there's a lot of great guide services out there. That I say great guide services. There's a lot of great duck hunters out there running guide services that don't make any money. Yeah. Um. And they probably financially, they're still probably better off than me. They probably have it. Maybe they got it figured out better than I do, and they're doing other things. But I'm a. I like to think of myself as a hardworking guy. I'm, I'm mowing yards in the summer. And I'm shooting ducks in the winter, and you know how my saying is on that. Yep. Uh, yep. But I'm just a hardworking guy. I see a lot of people on Facebook, that are, you know, they sure think it's rough, and they're gonna they're gonna hunt three or four months out of the year, and then they're gonna go golfing. Well, I think a lot, and number one, you get the return clientele that you have because of, and, and don't take this the wrong way, not because of the duck hunting, because the duck hunting there is, there's a reason that we go to Kansas sometimes three times a year from Louisiana. There's a reason that we make that 14-hour drive. But you get the return clientele not so much because you just fill straps every time, but because you relate so much to the clientele that you have and they relate to you just a like you said it before a regular blue collar guy which i that's what i love you know we hunt with we have hunted with some groups you know outfits before that uh, you know i mean for whatever reason there just wasn't that personal connection mm-hmm. and i have to think that if it's if it's like that with us where we're 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 putting content together for them mm-hmm. then it's probably even worse for some of these guys that are you know yeah coming, i know one of them that you're talking about and i booked several guys uh that hunt with them the following yeah. year 
Um, yeah. And that's their business. I mean, they. it's a good thing about America. You can be your own boss and run your business how you want to run it. And, yeah, and some of the guys that I'm talking about are like Arkansas guys. Oh, I know. I know. And I, I take a lot of guys from Arkansas and people that go through Arkansas and just don't want to go anymore. And some people in Arkansas. Dude, that's you know what? That's saying something. You're getting a lot of guys from Louisiana and a lot of guys from Arkansas where back in the day, Louisiana and Arkansas, that people were going people were going there yep. to kill birds. Yep. This is how so, things have changed. We don't get the winners, uh, and birds aren't because of it only takes a couple winters in a row that are very mild and birds don't make yeah. it down there and those new birds are not imprinted to that same yeah they don't even know that anything further south exists right that's exactly exactly i mean right. you, you shoot like a, a first year hatch of greenheads that for whatever reason did not make it into uh arkansas or north louisiana in the timber where they're you know you would think that's green timber or mississippi delta so you get that first year hatch that stops like in central or northern kansas or on that latitude right that doesn't know to fly any further south right i mean unless there's just snowpack and they can't find any but they very much follow the leader so that imprinting thing i think you're spot on with that Oh, I think it plays a, a huge role. And it'll only take a couple hard winners in a row to fix it. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that'll we can go back down that rabbit hole again, and who knows about yeah, what what's going on up north. So I don't know. No I think I said everything I needed to. I've pissed <laughs> off enough people on that, I think. <laughs> probably. On both yeah. sides, probably. Do your waders still leak? Dude, I don't think I've hunted with you one time where <laughs> you haven't had waders full of water. I will tell you right now. Right before the end of the year, I bought a pair on clearance at Cabela's that was like $75. And they, they didn't leak. They weren't warm. But, I mean, I put them on to do stuff, and I took them off, and I put them back on if I needed to do stuff. Um, I'm seriously debating on buying those new Sitka waders before next season. They're awesome. They are awesome. They are awesome. They're awesome. <laughs> if anybody from Sitka is hearing this, um, and I can trick you into thinking I'm awesome, like I have a lot of people in this world. <laughs> you can just send me a pair, and then you can come hunt with me and uh, find out that I'm I'm just a normal dude. But uh, well, I mean, dude, the first. they're awesome to begin with. But to have a pair of waders that are serviceable that you can send off, they'll go through the whole pair of waders, fix them. You got a brand new pair of waders, and it's it doesn't cost, right? Yeah. You start getting it. I mean, yeah, they're expensive, but I mean, so is buying a new pair or two new pair of waders every year. You got to convince the wife, though. Oh, I got to. So I have an outfitter discount at Tangle Free. They, there's no hiding the fact that Tangle Free does that. Um, and it's a pretty substantial discount. And you should go look on my cart right now, the order that is uh, on there. And maybe I don't have it on my cart. Maybe I just have it written down on a piece of paper. But it's like six or $7,000. I mean, it's a $10,000 tangle-free order that I am buying before next season. And that's just from one company because there's different things about different companies that I like. And I like to mix and match it so I can have the best hunting uh, scenarios and gear and whatnot for my clientele and that's that's the thing so we 
uh, had a conversation with Tangle Free yesterday. You know, we're a pretty big Tangle Free shop, and they do an awful lot. You know, they do an awful lot to support us. And those guys, Corey and Doug and Kirk and all those guys at Tangle Free are just – they're just such stand-up dudes and such just – such good dudes to work with but the uh the thing about tango like if you look at just the gear right it is so well i mean you can tell that like voice of customer with those guys and they actually listen to how people use and how they want to use the gear it's just so well thought out oh it Um, really is i actually have a really mildly okay product idea for them that i will tell you off the air and uh, you can tell them about it, and I'll I'll even let them like yeah. put my face on it. <laughs> I'll let them do that. So you don't want them to sell it then? Well, maybe with your face on it. Yeah, it'd be better luck if they put my rear end on it. Probably. Uh, no, but they, I, I tell you, everything like I love. This is going to sound really, really don't. One of my favorite things that they have ever done from a product improvement standpoint is the the 12 slot decoy bags with the shoulder straps mm-hmm. brilliant oh yeah that's my six or seven like walking $1, into that my six or seven thousand dollar order i i don't even have bags on there yeah and that's what i gotta get yeah well i'm gonna tell you walking in to that pond through that muddy boot sucking cornfield that we walked through oh, gosh. would have been way more miserable without my hands being free because you know we're carrying on the stuff now i think that 12 slot bag it's got the zippered top what i would really like to see is like you have on some of the blind bags the um you know the bungee cords on top that crisscross that you can maybe you can lock a gun into that and a jacket and a thermos to where now it's really hands-free and all of that weight is not you're not carrying it all it's distributed across your back but stuff like that the go-to bags that we use in the timber with the uh, with the tree strap, mm-hmm. just uh, I mean, every everything is where a duck, a serious waterfowler would expect their gear to be, and it's because you you didn't have some guy come you know building it on a computer saying yeah that'll work, wrap it in camo and guys will buy it. No, everything is so well thought out. Mm-hmm. Dude, have you seen? their flight series with the flocked heads oh yeah oh oh they're they're slick they're slick and i don't know if i'll get them just because like we're so hard on stuff i hate to tear up that flocking and and whatnot and i'm particular so i'll probably go a different route i might get a couple for late season and whatnot when we're hunting right maybe a small pothole on the reverse migration. but you i I would bet that you're going to have a ton of those Canada silhouettes for cacklers, right? Oh, ton, ton of socks because we'll hide within the decoys themselves on backboards, the Tangle Free Ghost Blinds. Um, we we hunt out of those. Um, we're looking forward to running out of the dark spread with that next year. So, man, we yeah. got to – man, I just – Tangle Free has got to that point, and I know they're going to continue making improvements – um, on everything but they got to that point where and i'm in the industry long i I've, i started working with a few companies when i was 18 so i guess eight years now they're at the point mm-hmm. where a lot of companies have tried to get to and failed so right. they've made and you i know there's a lot of money that those companies put into stuff so they got more bang for their buck than their competitors 
Well, you, so when you start out, I mean, you have a limited budget. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look at some of the first roto-molded decoys, you know, companies that maybe start with an F, and that's all you can afford. Mm-hmm. And you, But you always knew that quality was, like, there was a lot of room for improvement. And those guys just nailed it. I mean, nailed it. Oh, yeah. Everything that they put out. Oh, it's incredible. So what are some of the other companies you're working with, you said? So um, we're a big tangle-free shop. Always kind of just have gravitated towards quality like you. Uh, You know, I just, we, I would rather pay a little bit more for stuff in the beginning Mm -hmm. instead of having to replace it. So every year, which gets super, super expensive. Tangle Free being one, of course, Sitka, been with Sitka now for several years. Tahatsu Outboards, which I just, I'm running their their 50 tiller handle on an edge uh, 16-foot duck boat, and the thing is lights out scary. Super, super fast. We went, uh, I was in the marsh fishing, uh, trying to see if the redfish had kind of turned on, and they're starting to. But I ran a route that was almost 42 miles. I looked at it on GPS in the in the marsh in Louisiana. Uh, 42 miles, and I still had gas in a six-gallon can. Jeez, that's that's. Impressive. I mean, but that that's a four-stroke 50 from Tahatsu that literally sips gas. The thing weighs 204 pounds, a four-stroke, which is unheard of. Yeah. So Edge Duck Boats. We've been with Edge for for a while. They just make. I think one of the best one of the best duck boats out there and Tom Cox, the owner, solid believer, just really believed in our mission and what we were doing when really nobody else would talk to us. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. We're super, super loyal. Like to where it kind of hurts our sponsorships. It it's hurt our potential sponsorships at some points with some companies that you know, we were working with before that wanted us to go in a different direction with uh, with camouflage, and they felt a yeah. kind of a conflict there. And I just we were we are loyal, even if it means you know money. We are so intent intentional about relationships and loyal yeah. in our relationships that you work with any gun we, companies or anything. Yeah, yeah. So um, we shot the new Rite. Yeah, shotgun yeah, this year. that's right. Oh man. I'm um I'm not I, and I told I told Brian Waite this. He's a he's a retail arms rep um here in the states and when he first talked to us he's like, "You know, I know you sh- you've shot Benelli for a long time and I I I still shoot my Super Black Eagle 1. Uh it has a very short serial number on it, which tells you how old the firearm is." Yeah. I said, "You know, I'm not married to Benelli, but we've been dating for a long, long time." <laughs> But I got to tell you, man, that that um, that new Rite, the uh, the Masamari mm-hmm. series, uh, that's what I had when you and I hunted. Super light. Um, the controls on it, like the uh, the breech control and the breech button, really really big, so you can work it with uh, with gloves on. Uh, it's light. It doesn't have a ton of recoil for such a light gun. Uh, shouldering the weapon for me. I closed my eyes and shouldered it the first time just where it felt comfortable. And then I opened my eyes, which 
shotgunners you should shoot with both eyes open and it was it was perfect for me i shoot left-handed because i'm left eye dominant yeah, but i do everything else right-handed yeah. uh, you notice that um, yeah i'm the same exact way and i was looking right straight down the top of the barrel i was getting no like peripheral of the side or anything else and so right out of the box it shouldered great the thing that i really like about it is the way there's a button underneath and when you pull on that trigger guard the whole trigger assembly comes out so if you drop it in the mud something like that you would you need to clean you don't have to disassemble the gun to clean your trigger assembly out there's one button pull it the whole trigger assembly comes out rinse it off wash it off jam it back up in there and you're back to hunting so really super excited about the the retay shotguns i can't and then we were i think when we were shooting with you i was shooting those apex those apex shells the tungsten Mm -hmm. shells and that was i mean that those shells are lights out period forget cripples lights out oh yeah yeah if you Um, are a good shooter and uh gonna go out there and shoot your five or six ducks whatever and you're gonna take shots that that you are uh comfortable with that's that is probably the way to go yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Nick on from Apex to kind of go over the whole shell from front to back and and what makes it different and the economies of scale that go into that shell and and why why shells with a sticker price of you know upwards of forty dollars a box are worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's they they have different levels where they you know some are pure tungsten, some are a tungsten steel mix. That's the ones I shot, which were the the tungsten steel mix but it's just with the the through a jeb's choke those shells and i think i was shooting number sixes or number sevens in that pond that we the that last time that we hunted deadly i mean just period flat and i've i've killed geese with them too mm-hmm. we were in kansas uh not kansas we were in canada this year and we hunted the chickpea field and it just so happened that the birds wanted to be in there with five minutes left of shooting light. That's, uh, you know, that's just how it works. Well, yeah, we had a big group come in, and I don't know, I think Drew Seals, the other guy that was running uh, camera for us on that trip, may have gotten it. But we had a big group of mallards come in, and one hen was sneaking out, and I, just going straight out, put the bead right under her, and the bird was probably guys are going to hear this and call bullshit i'm just telling you there was six other guys there that saw it the bird was probably 60 plus yards out and folded it dead as a hammer dead before it hit the ground uh, matter of fact we went out there to find it and i'm like i know this bird didn't get up and well i had walked you know 50 yards out and i said i know the i, I know it was dead before it hit the ground because i saw it bounce and lay in there yeah. Well, I shine the because it was dark at that point. I shine the light out a little bit further, and there, another twenty-five yards out, she laid. Oh my! And everybody, we were hunting out of those uh, tangle-free ghosts. Yeah. Everybody that was laid up against this fence row when the shot was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how did you? I'm like, look, that was just a going away kind of screw you shot. We all do it. Never did I intend to reach out and grab that bird. Be nice. You just weren't letting happened. him leave without uh, throwing yeah. some throwing some pellets. Yeah, I'm, I figured maybe a stray pellet would hit her in the foot or something like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, folded it dead as a hammer. 
That's awesome. At, at, at a good 60, 60 yards. Mm-hmm. And it's just, man, you, you find, you know, we're talking about combinations. You find combinations of gear that work, and, and we're really, really blessed and lucky to this point that we're getting the combinations that work best for us, not just having to talk to companies that, you know, will settle on quality just because, we, well, oh. we need to have a, you know, we got to have yeah. a boat sponsor. So, yeah. well, it's better to do that. It's a lot easier to make content that way because you're actually yeah. using it. I mean, you can just go out there and hunt, and Brian and the right. guys can film and uh, and get and get real life stuff. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have to uh, like when we do product reels or you know short segments for sponsors. I. We don't have to make it up that we really like the products mm-hmm. that we use. I mean, <clears throat> honestly, I can tell you that we probably would not be as successful using other products that we than we use now. Yeah. And like that's just my sense mm-hmm. of quality makes a hunt better. It definitely makes it more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but had we not had the panel blinds that you know we had there, there's no way we would have killed as many birds as we killed if we didn't have the new 360 solo from tangle free there's no way brian can be as hidden as he is and get the footage that he gets if we were shooting chokes other than jebs i don't know that we have as predictable of pattern like with the jebs chokes i know for a fact when i shoot a 685 with the tungsten sixes from apex i know exactly what the what the pattern is doing at almost any point downrange. Well, that's the big thing that people don't do, I think. Whether no matter what you're shooting, know what your capabilities are. Know what your pattern is going to be out there. Right. I mean, that's just the. I mean, because there's a hundred different options out there for you, and you guys have your sponsors, and you believe those products that they're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you use them. I've used them with you, and they are. They're they're top notch. Um, but even yeah. if you're using something else, know what it can do. Go pattern your gun. People don't – like you yeah. see it on social media all the time. Well, I just got my new Maxis. Uh, what choke tubes and shells should I shoot out of it? How would you go find I'll go out? figure it out. Because, heck, not even all those guns are the same. Right. They try to make them as similar as they can, but, heck, bringing it home, it might have got bumped. Maybe you need to shim it. I mean, maybe the gun doesn't shoot exactly how you prefer to shoot but People don't know that. I've heard of how many times I've heard of SVE3 shoots high. <laughs> yeah. What shim do you have in it? Maybe it does. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm, that's Who knows? Yeah. I agree. So what's next, dude? What's next on your calendar? You're going to start cutting grass soon, aren't you? I Within a month or less, we'll be cutting grass. Doesn't really feel like it. Uh, we'll be cutting grass... Um, I'm working on the lodge right now. I got some barn wood. I got. What else do you have left to go in the lodge? I mean, uh, I know it's probably a long list, but oh, it's a huge list. We got to bathrooms number one. Finish the bathroom completely. Get all the barn wood, barn tin in there. Um, right. need to uh, do the parking lot. Um, oh my god! Take gosh, the old dude. mud out of there and regravel it. <laughs> burn the burn the brush pile, scrap pile out back which I'm yeah. nervous to do because we might just burn the lodge down in the process. 
Um, yeah. Have a hose handy. Yes, <laughs> a big one. I might just because that's an impressive pile that I saw, and I'm sure it's bigger than it was when I was there the first. It time. is huge, and it's gotten smaller and then built back up because it just all just you know decomposes and just gets more and more dense. So it's gonna burn hot and for a long time. Yeah. So got plenty to do, plus coaching track, and then we got the Thunder Chickens to chase here before too long. When does that open? Ah, uh, gosh, I mid April. It's usually like this, a Wednesday. Tip, it might, it maybe it's even the fifth, the fifteenth, maybe. But okay. typically it's a Wednesday there. It's beginning of April, about second week. We have a handicap and bow season opens before that. We have a youth weekend and and whatnot. Um, right, which I'll help with. I'll help with at one of the uh, state grounds. They do a youth hunt. Last year it snowed. We had a blizzard that weekend, so it got canceled. But they asked me to do it again, so I will probably I will scout their area and see what is how's it, how it's looking. Um, yeah. But worst case scenario, I'll grab whatever kid I got and we'll come on my stuff and kill him. I mean, I if I didn't shoot a turkey, I wouldn't be too upset about it. I got plenty of other people. My wife shot the biggest turkey I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. So I, I I haven't taken her since then. Actually, that was two years ago. And uh, I say it's no, don't. I say it's because she didn't have time. But I'm just tired of her shooting bigger birds than me. Yeah, but you deer hunt a lot too, don't? Some you? I didn't deer hunt one time last year. I was actually and I used to deer hunt when I was little, rifle hunt a little bit, and then I got into bow hunting and uh, shot my first buck with a bow, 120 inch, two yeah. and a, two and a half year old, which for some people in parts of the world, but. That actually, some people have been in the lodge and go, man, that's a nice deer. I'm like, that's a two and a half year old buck. And they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah. It's, yeah. But I mean, we're just used to big deer in Kansas. It was nothing. I about fell out of the tree when I shot it. I was so pumped. And I walk up to it and I was like, oh, that ain't very big. Uh, am I- but you know what was weird for me getting used to hunting in Kansas is that for, I guess for a deer hunter, you have limited amount of cover. For, for deer. I mean, you basically have trees that grow along like shelter belts or whatever, right? Yep. And it's not like you got big stretches of woods no. like you have down here in the south. No, uh, but there's plenty of ag for them, and they oh, they man. will hide in more and in, in very few trees. Uh, yeah. It'll surprise you. And CRP is a big holder yeah. of deer. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I've seen some, dude. I, I'm not a. I've deer hunted. I've killed a few, but I've uh, some of the biggest animals I've seen have been out there by you. Oh, there, there's some impressive, impressive deer. I mean, there was a 190 plus inch deer right behind the lodge this one day last year. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell a couple, couple rut archery hunts. Um, I was gonna say you should, man. I'm going to. So anybody that's out there listening to this, um, we're gonna sell a couple. It'll be uh, twenty five hundred dollars. For a five-day rut archery hunt here in Kansas. So, when is your rut typically there? Um, I would say it's starting to get heated up late October, early November. And it could go all the way through November, really. I mean, you're looking the first couple weeks of November pretty hot and heavy. Uh, a lot of guys like to kill them late October, early November, right. before they really get locked down. And then mid to late November they uh they can uh do pretty good when they're looking for other does but uh, but you know what i've noticed dude 
is that some of the biggest deer I've seen have been right after we've made the most racket shooting geese and ducks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it just seems like they're used to shotgun fire. Oh, they are. I mean, there's a lot of duck hunters, and it's uh, and we're probably pretty quiet getting in there, you know, and getting ready to rock and roll, not making up too much noise, and then we're in there shooting like crazy, and they finally get up and move about and kind of distance themselves. I've noticed that too on the public ground that we hunt the timber in Mississippi. That you know, it's the spots that I go to are typically a long walk in and a long walk out through the woods, not in water or sloughs. Yeah. But we'll we'll make all kind of racket mm-hmm. in the woods, and you walk back out to the bank and you bump a deer that's been sitting there the whole time you were hunting. Yeah. It, like what? It. <laughs> A deer, big deer hunters just must not be very good. That's what I think they just. Ah, uh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> but I know one thing about Kansas: the wind always blows. Nope. And the coldest I have been in my life has been in Kansas because there's nothing but three strands of barbed wire to break the wind. Oh, that wind is something else. It could be twenty degrees, but be fifteen below with the wind. Yeah. And it is, it is miserable. Well, I would um. I would absolutely love to come up and shoot a turkey. Yeah, well, come or watch up. you shoot a turkey or something. Yeah, come up here, dude. It is, it's a blast. It is uh, nothing like it. Are you allergic to poison ivy? No, I'm not actually. Oh, yeah, I hate you. I'm so I get poison ivy so bad every year. <laughs> it's terrible. But part I of mean, it. I can't say that I can roll around in it naked, but I've I've had my hands in it, and it doesn't. You know, I don't. Oh. I, so I know some dudes that just like pass by it and their system oh, shuts that's down. That's how I am. Oh, it's I'm not a fan. I'm not looking forward to it, but it's part Sucks of for it. You. I gotta remember. My thing is, I'm so busy. I'll hunt until I last second. I gotta go do something else, and then I'll it'll I'll go do something else and be and forget to take a shower relatively quickly. You know, I shower yeah. every night, but you know you, that oil's on you too long, and it's it's a done deal. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. hosed. Well, what did we forget to bring up? I feel like we just started and we're two hours in. I know. I'm not sure. Most people listen to this podcast have probably shut it off by now. <laughs> so I hope not. Man. I hope not too, but I'm, I don't find myself very interesting. So, but some people might. I don't know. Well, if if guys want to reach, it, look, I'm just telling you guys that are listening to this. We don't have a relationship with Duck Wild Waterfowl that benefits us other than we're just super, super good friends. So there's no financial, uh, you know, no financial favors that are trading back and forth. But if you want to hunt with a dude that just loves to smash stuff and will work his ass off to make sure that if there is a bird anywhere near Waverly, Kansas, that you're underneath it, Travis Sipe with Duck Wild Waterfowl is is the dude to hunt with give out your digits because you know your your instagram and website and things i'll put them in the show notes yeah but give out some uh, ways if guys want to get in touch with you they can yeah the uh, you can go on facebook um just type in duck wild waterfowl same thing with instagram twitter um you can uh, email me at duck wild h2o foul at yahoo.com um and you can call me anytime. Call or text me 620-364-6819. So text me, call me, message me on Facebook or Instagram if you have any questions. 
But you don't can, wait because one lodge is already full. Yeah, it won't take long. But even if you don't want to book, you just want to talk hunting and ask me questions or refute some of the things yeah. I said here on this podcast. I just like talk, talk, yeah. talking hunting. I get along with it. I get along with anybody and everybody. That's a fact. I can attest to that. Well, I have um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, dude. It's it's definitely the first podcast you've done with us, but it won't be the last. And I need to get up there and shoot a thunder chicken with you. You definitely do. Yeah, I, as this podcast grows, I definitely want to come uh, get back on here. Um, once you find out what type of listeners on here, we can go into some of the things that they're interested in. Yeah, and I can definitely. Uh, I can fill them full of crap. Hopefully, we've touched on some of it. We don't have to guess I, too much. I hope so, too. We talked about about anything and everything. I don't know. Maybe they want to talk about mowing grass or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can talk right. about whatever you want. I, I've, I've long told people that I am great at nothing. I'm great at absolutely <laughs> nothing in this world. But I'm good at almost everything. I can figure out how to do most things. So uh, That's so funny. I, I don't know. Too much. It is what it is, I guess. Well, thanks, Travis. We're going to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to put uh, all your contact information in the show notes. And um, that's it. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Hey, right back at you. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Man, that was a good show. That was a good show. We covered a lot of ground. Travis is one of the most knowledgeable guys about killing ducks and geese in Kansas. If some of you guys that hunt the timber, hunt the marsh, hunt a lot of water like we do, if you've never experienced a good green tim uh, uh green head shellacking in a dry field it is absolutely something that you have to do and when you go to do it you call travis site now you know so thanks travis uh for jumping on with us spending so much time with us really appreciate it and also thank you to today's show sponsor tangle free again makers of the finest waterfowl gear in the universe check them out tanglefree.com don't waste your money on junk if you're just getting into the sport start off right invest in quality gear you won't be replacing every single year year in and year out wasting your money so again thank you guys for joining us go ahead and hit subscribe so you can follow us and get the next edition of no limits waterfowl podcast because we'll have another one coming out real soon again thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you guys again soon bye-bye